Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your co-host Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host Richie Schneiderite. We have a very special guest joining us, uh, Rutgers class president of the class of 1972, the founder of the Rutgers Club of Connecticut and the co-founder of Student Athlete Name, Image, and Likeness with Rutgers own Jordan Belzer. Richard Kent. Richard, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. It's uh, a shout out though. It's Jason, not Jordan. Jason, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I, Jordan, you know, what, you know what it is? Jordan Belzer, I think, is the name of the character from Wolf of Wall Street. So I get those two mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your connection to Rutgers basketball. Sure. I've been a, I've been a huge Rutgers basketball fan. I, I was assistant sports editor of the Targum, and I followed those really good teams from 68 to 72. I was actually positioned at midnight outside Bill Foster's office when he left to go to Utah. Bill Foster was the mm-hmm. coach who coached Valvano and Lloyd. And I probably took a little bit of a hiatus from 72 to 75 when I was in law school at Boston College. But after that, and obviously starting with the undefeated season in 76, I mean, I I go to God knows how many games a year. Judges used to let me out of court at 3.30 when they knew Rutgers had a home game. (laughs) So um, I've, I've had close relationships with Tom Young, with Kevin Bannon, with Bobby Wenzel, with Mike Rice, with Tim Pernetti, and I've known Steve Peichel ever since the late 80s. I run a high school all-star game in Connecticut called the Schoolboy Classic. It's now New Jersey against Connecticut. Uh, Steve played in it in the late 80s. Um, uh, uh, Gavin, Derek Simpson played last year. Gavin Griffiths is playing. It's next Sunday at 3 o'clock. I hope some of the listeners are interested in attending. It's at the Cardinal Sheehan Center in Bridgeport. Also, Papa Conte, who had Rutgers as a finalist and is going to Michigan, will be playing for the Connecticut team. Nice. So, I mean, you just said you've been watching Rutgers basketball forever now. I just want to get your overall thoughts on this season. Obviously, it didn't end the way anyone wanted it to, but. I mean, if you view it from the prism of what your expectations were on perhaps November the 7th, when Rutgers played Columbia, I believe, uh, by the way, I was, I was stunned that Rutgers, you know, just annihilated Columbia in that game. But I, I figured um, maybe, you know, on the bubble, you know, maybe the playing games, obviously the expectation rose with the Purdue win and some other good wins. I was positive after the Michigan win and the Big Ten tourney that Rutgers was in, but I think we've learned a lesson that the committee really doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to the conference tourneys, and I, except for Marquette, by the way, who ended up getting a two-seat as a result of that. And I also believe on some levels, either directly or indirectly, that the Big Ten was being penalized for its performance the last two years. And I don't know what that's going to be speak for next year because, you know, obviously Michigan State, great uh, situation being in the Sweet 16. In the East, 
the East region is really weak. I mean, they, they can advance in that region, yeah. but you know, the rest of the teams flamed out. And at this point, we really have to say that Matt Painter has been an embarrassment to the league, you know, losing yes. to North Texas, losing to St. Peter's. It, it, that that was the, with Jaden Ivey, uh, Trevion Williams and Zach Eady. That was an impossible game to lose, but he lost it. Yep. And this year, not getting any touches for Zach Eady over the last nine minutes, you know, basically walking the ball up the court against Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, Fairleigh Dickinson, and, and I know Tobin Anderson, great guy, really smart basketball mind, and it's fabulous that somebody from D2 gets a chance to coach in D1. But, I mean, they're not talented. They've, they, you know, the 5'8 kid can shoot. Robinson, I think, is his name. You can shoot for sure. But besides that, it is humanly impossible to, to, to defeat Purdue. But they did. Now, I've, I've made a distinction between a Cinderella, FDU, a Cinderella, St. Peter's last year, and Princeton, who was not a Cinderella, in my mind. They're not a 15 seed, even though they were seeded 15, because the committee looks at the Ivy League and says, okay, well, we'll, well, we'll seed them 14 or 15. That's nonsense. I mean, Tosan Awoma, and I, I've i told Rutgers about Tosan Awoma because I thought he was going to enter the portal, but he's not. He's going to play pro ball, and you will see him in the NBA. I mean, a point forward, seriously, that's, yep. a, that's a tough position to defend. <laughs> So I, you know, I I told Rutgers about him for a while, and I've been on him ever since his sophomore year. I've seen him, I think, eight or nine times in person. He was the best player on the floor against Missouri. And when you have a, I, I don't think Princeton is going to win because McDermott is a really good coach, and he's going to have a week to prepare. Dennis Gates had two days to prepare. And you're not preparing for the nuances, the back screens, the high hedges that Princeton presents in a day and a half. That's fair. Yeah, uh, you, 100%. You touched on a lot there. I, I want to talk about you're very connected to the coaching circles, especially in the Northeast. You've kind of touched on Matt Painter being an embarrassment. Do you think this is the, the natural breakoff point for Purdue and, and Matt Painter with him being having such an affinity for the Notre Dame job? Or do you think that his recent tournament woes have kind of pushed him down the pecking order for Notre Dame? Oh, I, I think if Matt Painter was truly 100% in on Notre Dame, he'd get the job yesterday, for sure. I mean, he's had tremendous success. I, I'm not going to call him a bad coach. He's a bad March coach. He's got he's got no issues at Purdue. I just don't think he's going to be successful ever in March with the style that he plays. I think he would be way more successful at Notre Dame in a really watered down ACC. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I know one thing that you were talking about before. You talked a lot about Princeton. What what's uh? Everyone wants to know what what's the big deal between Princeton and Rutgers, and why won't they play each other? Well, let, let's go back a bit. Uh, Bobby stopped playing. Wenzel stopped playing them for a couple of years because mm -hmm. he was just he was getting beaten up. Eddie Eddie couldn't play them because he just, I mean he he would have had no chance against them. Let, let let's put it that way. And for whatever reason, and Steve is a great coach. He's a great guy. 
Um, a little bit stubborn. I got to say that. And I think he's got a blind spot. I, I, when he was hired, I thought it was an excellent hire because I followed him when he was an assistant at UConn. I followed him when he was an assistant at GW under Carl Hobbs. And I followed him when he was at uh, Stony Brook. I, I don't know how much he knew about the history in 2016 and 2017 of Rutgers and Princeton. And, you know, not unlike a lot of coaches in the power five, power six arena, he thinks that perception wise losing to a Princeton or a Yale is way worse than losing to a St. Bonaventure, UMass or Rhode Island, but it's not mm -hmm. because I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this right now. I I saw I saw every Rutgers game this year. I saw, I would say I saw 20, 18 Princeton games and twenty Yale games. There's not a lot to separate Yale, Princeton, and Rutgers this year. I think if they played in Trenton, Princeton, and Rutgers, and and by the way, I've solicited the opinion of two writers who covered both Rutgers and Princeton, and they don't disagree with me, I think they would split 10 games. Hmm. So you've talked about your close relationships with a lot of Rutgers' recent coaches. What would you say makes Steve so much different than Rutgers' recent coaches in terms of being able to actually have success, have those recruiting breakthroughs in the area? What is Steve's secret sauce? Steve has a better assistant coach cadre than any coach, any head coach at Rutgers, except for Bobby in his first year when he had uh, Jeff Van Gundy. You know, Jeff, obviously Jeff Van Gundy was a tremendous coach. And I think he really helped Rutgers in the, I think the first, Bobby went to the NCAAs twice, I think the first NCAA, but, you know, with Carl Hobbs, former coach at GW, with Brandon Knight, who's, you know, I, I got to believe is going to get a, a temple like job, even though I haven't seen him mentioned for temple. I've seen Matt Langle from Colgate who played at Penn and is from Philly mentioned it at temple, but Brandon Knight is really good. You got Mike Larkin in that office who I've dealt with, who I think is excellent. So he's got a really good staff. Steve busts his backside. He works really hard. There's other coaches in Rutgers history that have not worked hard. Steve works hard. And Steve, everybody like likes Steve. I've never heard anybody make a negative comment about Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He seems like a legitimate good guy. Everybody, like you said, loves him. Richie's had a ton of interactions with him. Mm -hmm. Every time Richie just glows talking about him. <laughs> Would you say that there might be a, a need to switch up some of the assistance given Rutgers' offensive woes the last few years? I mean, you're going to switch them up if they get a head job, but Steve is Steve is loyal beyond loyal. Um, he's he's not going to get rid of an assistant. Mm -hmm. And what is my opinion? I don't know that my opinion is worth too much because I, I'm not in that office every day. I'm not. I've been to many practices, but I'm not at practice every day. So, I, I mean, I, that, I would defer that question to Steve and his answer would be no. Are you kidding me? Now, yeah, now, now, listen, Jay Young was a great loss. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. Jay Young is an excellent coach. He's having some problems at Fairfield because Fairfield is a really good academic school. And he's not he's not going to get kids into Fairfield that are getting into Iona. 
but mm-hmm. Iona is not going to have uh, Rick Pitino as its coach in a week. It's kind of what Where it do you think he ends like? up. I mean, there's only two places. He either ends up at St. John's, which is almost such a perfect match that maybe it won't happen, or Ed <laughs> Cooley finally isn't playing Providence for more money and actually takes the Georgetown job. And Patino says, I'm going to go back to Providence. But, I mean, listen, he lives on a golf course, what, 30 miles from the St. John's campus. He's coached at MSG. He's played at MSG. Why would he not take that job? That's, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I, I just, for what it's worth, they just tweeted out like half hour ago, Ed Cooley's most likely going to Georgetown. Sounds like. Um, I mean, Apparently, George Georgetown made him, I'm sorry, um, Providence made his assistants a really big offer um, last night, from what I can tell. I think Jeff Battle is one of those assistants. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But I mean, listen, when there's smoke, there's fire. And I hate the way this is playing out in public. I hate the perception of a Big East school. Uh, poaching another Big East school for a coach. I don't know if you would see that in the Big Ten, but I, I don't really know the answer to that. But I I think the ability to win at Georgetown is at a higher level than the ability to win at Providence. There's more alumni money. There's potentially more NIL money at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. It's a huge factor, obviously, especially in today's day and age. Um, I wanted to move on to tra- talk a little transfer portal stuff. What's what are you kind of hearing from that end? And I'm a, we're all expecting Rutgers to add at least a couple transfers, right? I I would think that a that a couple of kids. No inside information on who might leave. So let, let me just say that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Miller could leave. Obviously, Reber could leave. Um, I can't imagine Wolfolk leaving, but I've been wrong before. I know Rutgers is looking at the Timberlake kid from Towson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's getting a lot of high major interest. I, I've i seen his name mentioned with Iowa State and with Houston. I don't know if there's much validity to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm also told that Rutgers has reached out to Dame Adelican, who's a power forward at Dartmouth. And I, I, I've seen him play a few times. I saw him put up 40. I don't remember who, not against Yale. I don't remember who he put up 40 against, but he's a really good player. Mm-hmm. And and listen, you can't discount how these Ivy League kids are going to do. Look at Mike Smith of Columbia at Michigan. Look at Jordan Bruner of Yale at Alabama. Look at Makai Mason of Yale at Baylor. Look at Paul Atkinson of Yale at Notre Dame. He's the reason that Rutgers lost to Notre Dame in, in double overtime last year. Look at a kid named Grant Mullins from Columbia who played at Cal. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, Dame had 41 against Columbia this year um, in late uh, January. Yeah, I knew Um, I wasn't hallucinating. (laughs) Yeah, you nailed it. So obviously you're very connected with the NIL scene. How much has that changed both portal recruiting and high school recruiting from what you've seen and what you know of? Mostly Mostly the portal. I would think Um, I I think there's more of a focus on, you know, the portal with 80 percent 
of power, certainly with 80% of power fives. I mean, you, I, I'm not going to name the two schools I've heard this from, but I know two schools in the Northeast that say, come and play for us for two years. You didn't get a high major offer out of high school, but you will after two years and you can leave in the portal and you can play immediately. So NIL, huge in the portal, obviously big with high school kids, but not as big as with portal kids. So they're essentially selling themselves as a stopping point to a bigger destination. These yeah, lower level schools. For sure. I mean, kind of like a JUCO. Yeah. Hmm. It's definitely interesting. I never even thought of it like that. But uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on is that just the Big Ten as a whole, we kind of talked about it a little bit before, but the Big Ten as a basketball conference, everyone looks at Big Ten and it's football, football, football. Can, can they succeed as a basketball conference? I know they've had their struggles in March for God knows how long at this point. Well, I mean, the, the true struggles are only three years. Uh, for the 10 years before 2019, obviously didn't win it, haven't won it since Michigan State won it in 2000, even though Maryland did win it in 2002, but not a member of the Big Ten. Um, style of play is an issue. Really don't have tremendously quick guards kind of lumbering style of play. I, I think it may be more of a function of the Big Ten being overrated every year because there's so much so much prestige involved with the Big Ten, you know, in, in all the media markets, some great academic schools in Michigan and Northwestern. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think the hype maybe isn't real with the Big Ten. And a lot of the Big Ten schools, you know, Michigan State being an exception, play really crummy out-of-conference schedules. Michigan State played the number 38 non-Big Ten out-of-conference schedule. And I think they exposed themselves to all kinds of different styles. So, you know, besides the fact that Izzo is one of the best five coaches in the country, I think that's a reason why Michigan State is maybe overperforming right now. But I mean, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking the Big Ten might get another penalty next year and only eight teams in, you know, which does which doesn't help the middle of the league. The bottom of the league, except for Minnesota, is way better than the bottom of the SEC, is way better than the bottom of the Big East. But listen, the Big East at the top, UConn, Creighton, Xavier, Marquette, even Providence. I mean, one through five, that's better than any one through five you'll see in the Big Ten. Yeah. No. Is there, is there, you mentioned style of play. Is there just like too much of a focus on dumping it down to, you know, this lumbering big man? If you look at, you know, obviously Zach Eady this year, Kobe Cockburn in the past, like Rutgers has tried to run its offense through Cliff a lot. Is that too much of a focus? Is playing through the bigs rather than playing through the guards? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's successful. During the season, and interestingly, the Big Ten fares decently out of conference in late November and early December, but does it in March. So, yeah, I think that's one of the issues. But it's really not only quick guards, but it's also veteran quick guards. Now, yeah, plus and- a lot of these top programs, they have you know got they have a lot of young guards, especially because if you're really good as a guard, you don't stick around in college for more than two years at this point. So those guys are maturing throughout the season. So by the time it's March. They've already been battle tested versus November. They they're very green, so maybe that's part of it as well. I literally thought when I saw the draw that there was no chance out of a zillion 
that Purdue would get beyond the Sweet 16. Um, a bit surprised they didn't get to Madison Square Garden, but not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got young, young guards. I mean, what are they going to be like next year? I mean, their guards will be a little bit better. You've got no ED playing. They're not winning the Big Ten. And by, by the way, they didn't only win the Big Ten. They won the Big Ten tourney. How does the winner of the Big Ten and the Big Ten tourney lose to FDU? Only Matt Payton knows that one. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, in terms of out-of-conference scheduling, do you, do you see Rutgers changing anything up next year? I know, obviously, that was one of the committee's big issues with their resume. I'm hoping that there's a Madison Square Garden game. I, I've heard rumblings about St. John's, Gonzaga, and Providence. If Providence has a coaching change, I don't know. You know, may, maybe maybe that won't happen there. I do know one thing. Rutgers won't be playing Princeton. <laughs> is it too late in the process of schedule building to join one of these MTE tournaments at this point? It's not going to happen. Not going to happen? Is nope. it because Steve won't want to do it, or is it because it is too late? I don't think Steve wants to do it. Hmm. That's fair. How much control does a head coach have over his schedule? Is it basically 99% over the out-of-conference, I mean? Oh, I think it's a, I think it's a hundred percent. I mean, certainly Pat Hobbs is not telling him what to do. I mean, mm-hmm. Pat, Steve's Pat Hobbs guy. So yeah. yeah, I mean, is is Steve making the phone calls to the um, Sam Bonaventures of this world? No, somebody on his staff is. But there's a meeting with Steve first in which he suggests who they should play. Yeah. Because I think one of the but, only confirmed games next year is LIU, and LIU was literally like the worst ranked team in uh, Ken Palm this year, which is very difficult to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess, but you know, I want to, I want to go back to Princeton and Yale. I, I I've got to tell you, Rutgers is not the only team that won't play them. I mean, James Jones this year at Yale was forced to play two D three schools because he couldn't fill his schedule. These are the schools that said no to him. UMass, University of Hartford, Central Connecticut, Sacred Heart, Seton Hall, St. John's, Rutgers, and a whole lot more. And he's playing, got this, at Kansas and at Gonzaga next year. And he's discussing playing Michigan State. So what is it about Ivy League schools that makes them so dangerous? Obviously, they're not the type of kids who are going to transfer out after a year because they you know, played really well their freshman year. They're guys who go to an elite academic institution because they value that education. A lot of these teams have veteran leadership. Is that kind of everything? Or why Why else are they, they so dangerous to play? Well, I'm going to separate three schools out. I'm going to separate Yale, Harvard, and Princeton out from the other five because Yale, Harvard, and Princeton are elite way way beyond elite in their three of the best five schools in the country, you know, with Stanford and Chicago, maybe. So I, I've listened to recruiting pitches at Yale, and the recruiting pitch is very simple. It's a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision to come here. So they're getting kids over, well, Yale got a kid over, believe it or not, over Texas and Baylor from Texas, a 6'9 banger. Um, named Samuel Allerton, 
who's going to Yale because how do you, I mean, one thing I would say to myself is how do you not go to Yale other than the fact that your family might have to pay some money? And by the way, Casey Simmons, you remember that name from Northwestern? Mm -hmm. Guess who's starting at Yale next year? Casey Simmons. Yep. Yeah. If, if, if he, if James Jones, Yale's going to be better than Princeton next year for my money, even though Caden Pierce the freshman at Princeton is an elite, elite player. I mean, Caden Pierce would start at Rutgers and at Seton Hall from, from day one. No doubt about that. But Yale returns basically everybody. And a shooter, by the way, a shooter named John Poulakitas from Illinois, who Steve Peichel offered. Um, so Steve, Steve certainly knew about him. And Steve, Steve has told me that he does follow the Ivy because you know, he would always be interested in getting a portal kid from the Ivy. He he was all over Ethan Wright from Princeton last year, who ended up at Colorado, and Jalen Llewellyn from Princeton, who ended up at Michigan and got injured in early December. Yeah, I think Llewellyn was a Clem- one-time Clemson commit out of the portal and then switched over to, to Michigan last year. Yeah, the Clemson commit was like he freaked out for 19 seconds and said, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Clemson, but he really wasn't going to Clemson. Yeah, I can't imagine much more culture shock than going from Princeton to Clemson. But uh, yeah, Michigan seems to fit an Ivy League kid a lot better than a Clemson. How about if How about if Princeton beats Creighton, which I think is a really tough matchup, obviously, and Alabama wins? Yale, I mean Princeton would play Alabama in the Elite Eight. How about that culture shock? <laughs> that would be huge. You know, one team having a guy who probably shouldn't even be playing college sports right now and leading probably a top five NBA pick if he's, if his name gets cleared versus, you know, Princeton, Ivy League school. Princeton can shoot it. Langborg is, Langborg is a really good shooter. Um, I mean, they, they, they've just, they've got shooters up and down and they were four for 26 from three against Arizona and still beat them. Now they, they really lit it up against Missouri from three, but the, but the most important stat to me, they out-rebounded them by 14. How do you out-rebound Missouri, a rugged Missouri team by 14? Cause they're tougher. Yeah. They're tougher. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. They were getting so many hustle rebounds. They seem to get a lot of really kind of lucky offensive rebounds as well, but that's what you need in the tournament sometimes. Um, but speaking of Rutgers, what do you see as the outlook for Rutgers in the near term? The next couple of years, what are your, your expectations for Rutgers basketball? What are my expectations or what would I be happy with as an alumnus? Which one? Well, let's go with both. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start with as an alumnus over a five-year cycle, one sweet 16, one Playing game, one round of 32 and maybe a couple of NITs. I'd be thrilled with that. What are my expectations? I I think Rutgers is going to be in the tourney discussion every year for the foreseeable future with Steve there. Is Rutgers going to get over the hump and get to a Sweet 16? I don't know the answer to that. But if you have a lineup with Gavin Griffiths, with Ace Bailey, and with Dylan Harper – you're getting to the sweet 16. Yeah, that's it's yeah. it's funny because it feels like a fever dream being a Rutgers fan and having that much high level talent that's, you know, looking favorable to end up on the roster. Um, just like two top five kids overall, another five star from the previous class. Do you think that it's 
more likely than not that Dylan Harper ends up at Rutgers? I think it's 100% likely that Dylan Harper ends up at Duke or Rutgers. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, people tell me that his mom really wants him to go to Rutgers and his dad really wants him to go to Duke. I don't know if that's accurate or not accurate. Obviously, his brother would like him to go to Rutgers. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, one thing you said before that kind of intrigued me a little bit, you said as long as Steve is the coach, do you do you think any chance at all, is there any school that would try to, that Steve would leave for, I guess? No. other, Not even no. UConn, you don't think? Well, where's Danny going? Well, that, that's that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, Danny's not leaving UConn. UConn, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of coaches say it's my dream job. Mm-hmm. Danny's dream job is UConn. Fair enough. He's not going to leave UConn. If he left, I got, I got to tell you, Unless Steve is a master Harrison Ford level actor, when I speak with him, I don't think he would leave right. <laughs> I, I, I we get that same sense too. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from the people we've heard from, and just I mean, sounds like Steve is more than thrilled. Every he's so deferential to Rutgers athletics and Pat Hobbs for you know being so supportive of him over the years and always extending him and being fair to him. So I, I do feel like there's just a lot of mutual love between Rutgers and Steve. So. Glad to hear it reiterated from you, though. Yeah, I mean, I there's a lot of hyperbole with Steve when he gets up at a press conference and says, we play in the best conference in the country. Fred Hoiberg is the best coach in the country, so on and so forth. But when he says Pat Hobbs is the best, best athletic director in the country, he truly believes it. Yep. And, I mean, the, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, he's made a lot of really good coaching hires. He's gotten so much done in terms of building buildings on campus, which I'm sure you know from – dealing with Rutgers for, you know, as long as you have, that's not easy to do. And somehow Hobbs has found a way to cut through that bureaucratical red tape. So well, if you're really happy with Hobbs. If you walk into the Barnabas Center and you walk over to the strength and conditioning coach's office, you'll see the name of Richard Kent. Oh, look at that. Uh, how big of a, how big of a, um, I mean, think of it, I guess, obviously, when you donate money, you can specify it for a certain thing. Is that, was that pretty important to you that it went into the Barnabas Center? Yes. And my class, of which I am the class president, made a very large donation. And we have a beautiful conference room in the Radkin Center. That's awesome. Hmm. Love to hear that. Yeah. I mean, a shout out that I've, uh, strangely, I don't know if it's strange, but I've never said a word, never had a conversation with Pat Hobbs. The guy I work with is Mike Greengarten, who is tremendous. He'll be a great athletic director someday. I mean, he's, I, I think he's close to ready right now. I mean, he's certainly ready right now for a Monmouth NJIT. I mean, he'll be ready in two or three years for a mid-major. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to segue over to Brett McConnell at Princeton, who's the associate head coach. And I truly believe that if we did a podcast in two weeks, we're going to see Brett McConnell as the head coach at, you know, maybe NJIT, maybe New Hampshire. Yeah, it's a shame Rutgers never found a way to get him on staff. I mean, he seemed to be everybody's favorite, you know, assistant coach in waiting hire, but it never ended up materializing. Um, And obviously his stock has grown tremendously this season with the success Princeton has had. Just talk about what makes him such a good coach. He's a hustler, for one. I mean, he watched his dad, Kevin, for years. I mean, Kev, Kevin has had every conceivable position 
at Rutgers and obviously with Tampa Bay also. He's now the um, uh, chief of staff with Rutgers football. And so he was able to see that, you know, from a front row seat ever since he was three years old, I think he has said. So he's got that. He's a real, he's got a really keen, I, I, I had a nice chat with him about three hours before the Yale game this year. He's got a really keen uh, basketball mind from, from my perspective. And he knows everybody, especially in New Jersey. I mean, NJIT would be out of their minds not to hire him because he's completely connected in New Jersey. And I guess since he discovered Toast on Awoma, he's completely connected in Newcastle, England as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting the stories behind some of these uh, hidden gems from other countries, because it's not easy to go scout a kid, you know, six time zones away. So do these kids just kind of, do the coaches go to one showcase and just happen to stumble upon them or are no. they these, no. Tosin one was dad. He might be a doctor. I'm, he's definitely a professional. He wrote a letter to eight schools. I think you can guess what those eight schools are. Cause uh, only, maybe the Ivies. <laughs> right. He only wanted his kid to play at one of those eight schools. And the only one unbelievably that responded was Brett McConnell at Princeton. And hmm. Brett was on a plane over to over to London in a few days and he just fell in love with him. He told Mitch Henderson about that. And you know, the, the rest is history. I I, I remember hmm. I remember posting on the Rutgers board about a I don't know how many months ago about Tosanawoma and people laughed at me. They asked me if it was a disease. <laughs> um and I kind of think the country is recognizing who Tosan Awoma is. He was on CNN this morning for eight minutes. I'm not poss- I'm not really convinced that too many other college basketball players have been on CNN for eight minutes. Yeah. Yeah, not many. Okay. Um, and obviously, Steve landed Akwasi Oboa from England. Do you know the story behind his recruitment? I, I don't. don't. That's what I'm asking. I, I don't. Okay. Yeah, I, I I don't know that, but uh, obviously a tremendous find, and he was he was fabulous at Rutgers. I mean, he was a he wasn't just an you know an important piece; he was an important cog to that team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they'd kill to have him now. Yeah, he'd be helpful for sure. Sure, we 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 can't underestimate how significant the loss of Moat Mag was. I mean, Steve, Steve is never is never going to come out and say, we lost Moat Mag. That's why, you know, we didn't get into the tournament. Mm-hmm. But losing Moat Mag was, I mean, as an offensive rebounder, as a defensive player, I mean, that was just huge. And you th- had to thrust Andre Hyatt maybe into a role that he wasn't fully ready for or fully comfortable for. I'd agree. And I think we could have lost – you know, any of our main starters and we would have had similar issues because of the lack of depth. But yeah, Mawat was really having such a, a breakout year. It's it's really a shame that he went down. It sounded like he was one of the hardest workers on the team from everybody we've talked to. So just, I hope he comes back 100%. Um, well, there's, I think there's three guys that Rutgers couldn't have lost. Cam Spencer, Cliff, and Mawat. And Rutgers lost one of those three. I mean, how, how would Rutgers score if they lost Cam? Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. <laughs> By the way, give credit to Steve on that because Steve Steve watched dozens and dozens of tapes, and he also consulted with Jay Young, who coached against uh, Cam Spencer. 
Yeah, he was looking for the perfect fit for that last guy on the team, and he certainly found it. Um, got it. No, no social yeah. media, just all ball. Not many kids like him. Right. Um, well, we really appreciate you coming on, Richard. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we let you go? I didn't know who I should fax my bill to for my appearance today. So, <laughs> right, right, that's to go to Richie. Right, right to Mike. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we really I mean, appreciate your time. Yeah, I, I, I hope. I shouldn't help. Rutgers is not going to skip a beat with Steve as the head coach. I know it's a pipe dream for me to keep talking about, you know, hoping that Rutgers will play Princeton. But I I truly believe that if a truth serum was given to all alumni over the age of 50, maybe 55, they would say that Princeton is the only rival in Rutgers sports history and all sports. And I, I get why a 25-year-old Rutgers grad would say, are you joking? Why, why would we play Princeton? And by mm-hmm. the way, Mitch Henderson will play will play Rutgers two-for-one at the rack. And I think, unless my sources are bad, would play Rutgers as a one-off at the rack. Yeah, I mean, we obviously you can't play in football anymore, but it seems like we play them on almost every other sport other than basketball. So it would be nice to get that rivalry kindled because I, yeah, I was I mean, I think Coquise, she lost to Princeton by like 30 this year. Uh, Princeton, of course, lost in the round of 32 last night, narrowly to Utah after beating NC State, the women that is. But I think Coquise is going to continue to play them. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Well, Richard, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This has been another edition of the podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.